um, it was, it was um, very few seats available. Um, I'm not even sure if, I don't know if there was 10 seats available. Maybe there was, but it was very full. And uh, um, if you were serious about it, you would register early next year. Amen. Uh, I encourage you, I encourage you to go. Amen. We got your Bibles this morning. Can we turn to Job chapter 1 and James chapter 1? Job chapter 1 and James chapter 1. Amen. As we're turning there, I'll like to point out, we know that the Bible isn't, uh, uh, it's not laid out necessarily chronologically, but more topically. Amen. Uh, yes, the beginning is Genesis and the end is Revelation. And there's a lot of history and poetry and and all these things in between, um, you have the Gospels and everything, but Job, as we know it, is the oldest written book of the Bible. Amen. <clears throat> Job falls somewhere between Genesis and, and Exodus, and uh, 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 I'm sorry, yeah, between Genesis and Exodus, and probably before Moses, but after Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Amen. With that, let's jump into Job chapter 1, verse 1. It says, there's a man... In the land of Uz, whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright, uh, and one that feared God and eschewed evil. And there were born unto him seven sons and three daughters. His substance was also 7,000 sheep, and 3,000 camels, and 500 yoke of oxen, and 500 she asses in a very great household. So that this man was the greatest of all of uh, the men of the east. And his sons went and feasted in their houses every one his day, and sent and called <clears throat> for their three sisters to eat and to drink with them. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Brother Riley, would you open this message in a word of prayer, sir? Number one, biblically perfect. <clears throat> Point number one, biblically perfect. We see verse one, chapter one says, there's a man in the land of us, his name was Job, and this man was perfect and upright. How can Job be perfect when no one is perfect? What about verses like Romans 3.10, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. Uh, how about Ecclesiastes 7.20, for there is not a just man upon the earth that doeth good and sinneth not. No one's perfect is, 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 uh, is in their perfect and without sin. And, of course, that goes for the Pope and any other doctrines that believe that a man can be perfect and sinless. That is just not biblical. But the word perfect in the Bible doesn't mean perfect like we use it today. You say, what are you talking about? Well, it's like the word hope. Um, we, the, in our culture, in our day and age, we use the word hope equal to maybe. Like, I, I hope Brother Tony's going to take me out to lunch today. That's even less than a maybe. That's like, actually, I shouldn't say that. You, you did get me the other week. Uh, but, um, but, 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 but biblical, when you come across the biblical hope, it's not, it's not a maybe like we use it today. 
the word hope is like rest. I'm putting my trust in that. My hope is in the blood. Amen. I'm resting in Jesus Christ. It's not my hope is, oh, maybe I'm going to go to heaven. Not even a, a chance. These things have I written unto you that you may know. Amen. We can know. Heaven knows so salvation. But this word perfect in the Bible, it, it doesn't mean that you're 100% perfect and sinless in every way. It just means you're complete. You're made whole. You're, you're, you're finished. Amen. James 1, 4, I believe you're probably there. James chapter 1, verse 4 says, But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. Jesus himself wants us to be perfect, as in complete, as in whole. Not a sinless perfection, but complete in the sight of God. Jesus himself said, Matthew 5, 48, he said, be ye, the, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father which is in heaven is perfect. I mentioned studying this morning in Sunday school, and, you, and, 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 and I mentioned how you want to study a topic, look up every verse in the Bible that has to do with that topic. Google will get you a start, but really the best way is get you a good old-fashioned concordance. If you don't have one, we'll get you one. If you want one, we'll absolutely oblige. Amen. <clears throat> the problem is if I put a stack out here and said, if you, want, if you want one, take it home, they'd all be gone and nobody would look at them. If you want one, please let me know, and then I'll know you're serious, and we'll be happy to get you one. Amen. <clears throat> um, but, but another way to study or to add to your study is, the law of first mentions. The first time the Bible mentions something, that defines it for the rest of Scripture because Scripture interprets Scripture. Amen. Turn to Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. Genesis chapter 6, verse 9. First time I see this word perfect in our Scripture, talking about Noah. And we know that Noah was not sinless. Amen. Uh, Genesis chapter 6, verse 9 says, These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a just man and perfect in his generation, and Noah walked with God. That's the same language used to describe Job, but notice the comparison. See, Noah was perfect in walking with God as Job was perfect in fearing God. Amen. Same language. Same language. So number one, biblical, biblically perfect doesn't mean sinless perfection. People get the idea that you don't go to church unless your life is perfect. Oh, oh that it could be further from the truth. Um, 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 <clears throat> as a father I can look at my children and say they have a problem here, here, here and here and if I wanted to as a pastor <clears throat> I just know a lot of things unfortunately and I could go out through the church and be like well so and so has a problem here so and so has a problem here so -and, -so and I could say in my life and you could say in my life as well well pastor he's, he might be great here but he struggles here or here and here because none of us are perfect we're just not. Amen. My point is, is yet we're here. You say, well, I don't want to go to church because I don't want to be a hypocrite because I don't want to act like our life is all put together. No, actually, you're a hypocrite for not coming to church. To think that you have to be holier than thou and at some level to show up to a church service is absolutely not the case. And besides, there's always room for another hypocrite. Amen. There's always room for another sinner. See, the difference is we're coming to church saying we're unworthy. It's all about Jesus Christ. We're nothing without him. No. Amen. You say, well, why are you wearing those fancy clothes? Because I want to honor him as much as I possibly can. Amen. Number one, biblically perfect. Number two, 
Mommy and daddy cannot save you. Look at verse 5, Job 1, 5. And it was so when the days of their feasting were gone about that Job sent and sanctified them and rose up early in the morning and offered burnt offerings according to the number of them all. But Job said, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus did Job continually. Some would say that Job's children didn't sin at all. There's a group of people that will say that. Um, that Job was just being extra careful. And it doesn't say specifically that his kids sinned, but boy, it's strongly implied that they did. And I believe biblically that they did. Amen. I don't know a parent that doesn't want the best for their kids, but Job clearly did. And uh, I, I, I don't care how financially set my children are. If they're not right with God, they are not a success in my eyes, nor in God's eyes. So often, and I mean from, I, I just, from as far as I can, in my adult life, I can remember, people will talk about their children and be so proud of them, and, 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 and they're successful, they got a car, they got a, they, they got a house, they got this, whatever, but yet they're not saved, or maybe they're even saved and they don't go to church and they're backslidden. That's not to brag about. It doesn't matter if you're a millionaire. You can be a millionaire and go into hell. You can be a millionaire and be absolutely backslidden. What happens when you're backslidden? Who's using you? God or somebody else? Let's be honest. We don't like to look at it that way, but that's the fact. We're going to be used as somebody. danger of having success and enjoying comforts that we do and we live this in the American life is having children that take it for granted. I'm a child that grew up taking things for granted because I lived in a wonderful place called America. It's a danger that, and we see that all throughout the Old Testament. We see that with the children of Israel. We see that uh, 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 with, with you get a good, good king that will come up and things will be good for a while but then what happens under good king kids take it for granted then all of a sudden they want to do it their way so they're going to do it their way God will let them fall now things are awful for a couple hundred years and they get a good king and this constant cycle trusting God enjoying the benefits of it uh, uh, then trusting self living miserably everything is awful trusting God enjoying the better in the same cycle right. folks it ain't that different. It's exactly the same as what we do today. I'm going to live for God, do great, amen, and then I'm just going to do for myself when we go through this cycle. The problem is a lot of times Christians will kind of do this and just end up staying down here because it's easier in the comfort of America to not serve God than it is to serve him. I love my air condition, and I, I love my heat more than ever. I love a, a working oven, and I love the fridge that works and a, and a deep freeze that works. I'm so thankful for these things. <clears throat> and I say this not wanting it, but I tell you, we would be closer to an almighty God if God took all of those comforts away. Because all of a sudden, we're going to change our perspective, and oh, my goodness, <clears throat> Lord, please give our family heat today. Lord, Lord, we, we just, we're just so hungry. Please give us some food. All of a sudden, you'll find yourself face down 
praying on your knees as opposed to when you're comfortable in your lazy boy chair saying, God bless me if you can. Amen. Job wasn't sacrificing animals to save his children from their sins. Uh, people believe that as well. Um, but, but sacrificing animals never saved anybody from their sins. It was only a picture and a foreshadowing of the, the lamb, the sacrificial lamb that was to come. His name is Jesus Christ. You say, well, you can't say that. They got saved that way. No, they didn't. Hebrews 10, 4 says, For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and of goats should take away sins. No sacrifice never saved anybody but one. That was Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I believe that Job was showing his children the importance of obedience through sacrifice. I believe that. I believe that. Whether they acknowledged it or not, it doesn't say anything about the children repenting of their sins or getting right with God. No, no. But Job was clearly at the very least showing them obedience through sacrifice. And you say, what do you mean, Pastor? We, we, we go to church for a number of reasons. But for one, to show obedience to our children. That's important. We, we, we lose that. So we have this mindset, should I go to church today? How do I feel? Do I, who cares how you feel? Go for your children. Amen. Our children are watching. We tithe out of obedience to God and our children are watching. We witness uh, to other folks about the gospel out of obedience to God and our children are watching. You say, well, why serve God at all? Because our children are watching. For the very least, because our children are watching. Children watch when we take the Lord's name in vain. Right. Our children watch as we tell our, uh, tell our spouse or tell the children, we tell them, yeah, I don't want to go to church today. I'm too tired. Right. Our children are watching right. for the good and the bad. We look at, we look at, we look at sacrifice animal sacrifice specifically and that seems like so foreign in our culture but really we're just absolutely sheltered um brother shine and his wife just discovered the 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 beautiful world of tasty mcdonald's chicken nuggets amen amen i i mean you're a little late to the party brother but <laughs> amen uh he's probably the most meat kind of sewer that i know which makes it even funnier amen <laughs> But, but we live in this world and we bring our children up, and my children too. Like, look, chicken nuggets, and we bought chicken at the grocery store. Chickens were killed and slaughtered that we could eat them. Just because, just because uh, uh, we sacrifice animals somewhere else doesn't mean that it didn't happen for our benefit. It's gruesome. It's awful. Can you imagine where I'm going with this? When Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross, God's only son, perfect spotless lamb. I mean, the sacrifice of all sacrifices. It was gruesome and it was awful. But for some reason, God thought that it would be worth it. He, he, God 
could have quit at Adam and Eve and said, I'm done with mankind, but he thought that we were worth it. I'm so thankful that Jesus decided to sacrifice himself on the cross. We eat bacon, some pig slaughter. We ate wild, well, last night, yeah, last night's a perfect example. I didn't even think of that. All those animals that were sacrificed, a wild boar, kangaroos, alligators, camels. Yeah, I know it's weird, but it was fun to try them, amen. A lot of bloodshed was there so we could fill our belly. And just because we don't see it, we get, we get callous to it because we're living in a wonderful society. I'm thankful for the America that we live in. Amen. Could it be better? Yeah, it could be a lot better. Amen. Um, speaking of the law of mentions, turn to Genesis chapter 3, 21. Genesis chapter 3, verse 21. Amen. This is the first sacrifice in the Bible. Genesis 3.21, it says, Unto Adam also and to his wife did the Lord God make coats of skin and clothe him. An animal was sacrificed to cover up their nakedness. We're used to it. But we're doing the same thing. We're used to it. We're callous to it. We're used to the sun coming up every day and giving us heat and in and all that we're used to the grass we're used to the trees we're used to the breath of fresh air that we breathe we're just used to it so we take it for granted you might be living in america and you're so used to hearing i know jesus died for my sins i know i've heard all my life but yet we take it for granted we put it off to the side thinking that it's a less than story just because we've heard it all before and it's not itching our ears but the fact Still remains, it's still a truth that Jesus died for our sins because we are sinners. Not just because the world as a whole was not so good, but that we are individually sinners. It's not enough to believe that he's the son of God. It's not enough that, that to believe that Jesus died for the sins of the world. But, but you must believe that he died for your sins personally and accept him as your savior. Genesis chapter 3, verse 22. The Lord God said, Behold, the man has become as one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put forth his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him forth from the garden of Eden to till the ground from whence he was taken. Boy, that's... I, I would imagine that for years and years and years and years and years, there's a lot of bitterness towards Adam and Eve. Because they only got to hear the stories of how great the Garden of Eden was. But that sacrifice that, that they're now wearing to cover up their nakedness, that wasn't just, that wasn't just done haphazardly. That sacrifice also pointed to something really important. Jesus Christ. You say, I don't understand. Because there's a transference of sin during the sacrifice. You say, what do you mean? Turn to Le Le Leviticus 17, 11. My dad would say, I'm glad you asked. Leviticus 17, 11. Just because it's in front of us for so long, we take it for granted. And I'm, I'm guilty myself, Amen. 
Leviticus 17, 11 says, For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you upon the altar to make an atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that maketh an atonement for the soul. God has always taught from Adam and Eve all the way to Revelation that, that, that blood must atone for sins. And only one blood specifically has the power to atone for the sins of mankind. There's not a whole lot of mediators. There's only one. Amen. That ought to stop a lot of circles right there. But Jesus bore the sins of the whole world and became a sacrifice for us. Amen. John had it right when he said, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. You guys realize that we're just used to hearing that language. That's like Bible churchy language. Behold, the Lamb of God. He's the Lamb. He's the perfect Lamb, the sacrificial Lamb, the Passover Lamb. We're used to hearing that. Why would John say, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Because they were looking for a Lamb that was to come that was going to take away the sin of the world. That's what every sacrifice pointed to. Jump to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews 9, 22. I know we're turning a little bit this morning. That's okay. We won't be much longer. Amen. Life is in the blood. And also we have atonement through the blood. Hebrews 9.22 says, And almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without shedding of blood is no remission. When Jesus died on the cross for our sin, he gave himself as a sacrificial lamb to bear our iniquities, as the final sacrifice for all sins, past, present, and future. There's no more need. We don't need to sacrifice any animal because it's already happened. They were sacrificing all these animals pointing for 4,000, not 4,000 years, 3,000 years roughly, pointing to Christ. Well, yeah, since Adam and Eve, I guess so. I guess it still was a picture, amen. They say, why don't we do that anymore? Because it's done, it is finished. The, the, the final lamb has been sacrificed. The lamb, amen, has been sacrificed. And now we can look back to that lamb and put our rest in that lamb, amen. You know, there, there are moments, there are moments in my brain, my little small brain, where I, the thought runs through my mind, man, it would have been such a blessing to be there. I mean, to be on Mount Carmel. Wow. You know, see the Red Sea parting, like, can you imagine to be there to witness what God was doing? But everyone in this room would be the biggest complainers. We'd probably be hanging out with the sons of Korah in bitterness. We, it, they weren't living some wonderful life. They didn't have a word of God like we have today. Right. No, no. At best, maybe for a couple thousand years tops, they had some Old Testament books. They didn't have the word of God. They had prophets, so they had to uh, cling to, to what the man of God was saying, and they had to uh, really, really seek for it. Amen. Yeah, they got to see some wonderful things, but they lived a life of having to sacrifice here and sacrifice there, do this and do that as a picture pointing to Christ. But we take it so for granted that we have a complete canon of the word of God. We can just, God's given us all that. God's given us everything that he wants us to know, everything that we need to know and more. Amen. Yet we abuse it because we take it for granted. Right. Yeah. 
we have the same faith. It was by faith, and it is by faith, and it will always be by faith. Amen. Life is in the blood. We have atonement through the blood. Can I tell you this morning, you have to turn to these because I've got to move quickly, but we have redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1, 7 says, In whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. We also have justification through his blood. Romans 5, 9, but much more than being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from the wrath through him. Uh, the blood is the foundation of our peace. Colossians chapter 1, 20 says, And having made peace through the blood of his cross, by him to reconcile all things unto himself, by him I say whether they be uh, things in earth or things in heaven. I'm able to be close to God because of the blood. Right. Ephesians 2.13, but now in Christ Jesus, he, ye who sometimes were afar off are made nigh by what? The blood of Christ. Right. There's victory because of the blood. Revelation 12, 11 says, And they overcame him by the blood of the Lamb. That's Jesus Christ, by the way. And by the word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto death. It's talking about martyrs. Amen. Amen. Do you know that the blood is a theme song in heaven? Revelation 5, 9 says, And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book and to open the seals thereof, for thou wast slain and hast redeemed us to God by thy blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation. Saved by the blood of the crucified one. It means something. It's not just a song about a Savior. It's a song about my Savior. Amen. All my sins, past, present, and future. Sins of mankind, past, present, and future. Saved by his love divine. Saved to new life sublime. Life now is sweet and my joy is complete. For I'm saved, saved, saved. It's not baptism that'll save you. It's not being the best that you can that will save you. It's not doing good things for other people, though good things are great, that will not save you. It'll never save you. It's not how much money you give. It's not how much you go to church. It's not how much you sacrifice of your time, of your money. But it's putting your trust in the one who made the ultimate sacrifice for us. St. Corinthians 5.21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You know, I said it would do us good, and I mean it. I don't want it, but it would do us good to give away all of our comforts. And all of a sudden, we'd be looking to God for direction and peace and comfort. And, and also, you know, the happiest people in the world are like poor people. It's true. Uh, it's not even a joke. Uh, American children are the most spoiled brats in the world. But I can only imagine the effect it would have on me, let alone my children, that if once a year I brought uh, a spotless lamb to sacrifice beautiful little lamb and slit its throat with me and my boys at the altar. That just sounds awful because it is. And every time they would do that, that was a picture of how much more awful is the Christ that sacrificed himself for our sins. 
This doesn't even come close. But yet God gave us that as a picture. So for 4,000 years, animals were being sacrificed, still being sacrificed for our clothes and for our food, amen. Job couldn't save his children. They had to have faith on their own. But he could be a living testimony. If your children aren't saved, you could be a living testimony. If your spouse isn't saved, you could be a living testimony. Romans 12, 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. That's reasonable, Brother Tony. How did I give my life to Christ when I was seven years old? I accepted Christ as my personal Savior. You say, well, how do you do that? Well, it starts with prayer. It starts with prayer. And, and, I, and I, I like to stress that it's not saying words that save you. It's not a ritual. It's not, it's not do A, B, and C, and you're saved. But as the preacher said last night at the wild game dinner, there's a prayer involved asking Christ to save you from your sins and repenting of your sins. But it's all about the heart decision. It's all about your heart saying, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm in need of you. Forgive me for my sins. Uh, please come to my heart and save me. I want you to be my Lord and Savior. Because when it's just words, people will do that and never make a change in their life. Don't get me wrong, people backslide. But when it's a heart decision, all of a sudden you should now have a desire to, to drink from the milk of the word. And you know what? Milk's all you can handle for a while. I, I personally feel like I'm just... God just now uh, mushing up some food for me to mix in there. I feel like I can't even handle steak, amen. But God will give us more and more, and God will meet us wherever we are as a child of God. But, that, but all of that has gone to the wayside if we first haven't accepted him as a personal Savior. And that is the most important thing. I'm thankful that we can come to church. I'm thankful for the fellowship of the saints, man, because I, you know, I enjoyed it last night. There's a lot of saved people there, I believe. I enjoyed the fellowship around the, the donuts and uh, uh, coffee this morning. Uh, the sugar-free lemon cake last night, amen. But it all starts with prayer. A prayer saying, Lord, I'm a sinner. I'm in need of a Savior. There's going to be a lot of Christians... There's going to be a lot of people that call themselves Christians that are going to spend eternity in a burning hell because they thought they were Christian, because they said a prayer and they repeated themselves, but there was never a heart decision that was made. I'd encourage you this morning, if you never accepted Christ as your personal Savior, to make that happen this morning. There's nothing more important. And if maybe you're not living how you're supposed to be, get things right this morning. And, and, and can I encourage you even more? If, if you're doing everything you have for Christ... Come to the altar and pray for somebody. Amen. Amen. Let's close in a word of prayer and we'll have a few verses of invitation. Dear Lord, I pray that you'd move in the next few moments. Lord, we are absolutely a selfish people. We, we just are. We take things for granted.